Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Sponsor Talk Podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways and how brands interact with properties in sports, arts, film, music, you name it. In this episode, we chat with some of the leaders in the soccer world about how they are growing their sport as their properties and brands prepare for the upcoming World Cup and the momentum carried behind the Euros. Hopefully today you learn something new about the industry and challenges you to keep thinking differently. So I thought it'd be fun to, to besides just the general introduction of your name and where you're working, um, if you have a soccer player that you think best represents your personality um, or your playing skills, maybe um, do that. I, I will start. I'll start first. Um, Sarah Toussaint at Wells Fargo on the sponsorship group managing soccer uh, or soccer sponsorships, but also a new co-owner of the North Carolina Courage of the NWSL, which is really freaking exciting. And then, um, so I have to pick um, Dabinia, who plays for the Courage, um, but she is, not only do we say we share the same height at five foot two, um, I'm <laughs> definitely not a soccer player, but from what, I, what I've learned about her is she is open to trying new things. She's always trying to push herself, really hard worker. Um, her teammates seem to love her, which I hope is the case with my people. And um, so, yeah, that's to give you, give you a sense. I wish I had the, the skills, but I, I don't play. But from a personality standpoint, that's me. And so we'll start, we'll start, I'll start with what I see on my screen. So Allie, how about you? Awesome. So I too am not a soccer player, but uh, Allie Ayers, Director of um, Partnership Marketing and Strategy for the NWSL. I'd say um, welcome to the league, Sarah. So excited to have you. <laughs> um, I I had to crowdsource this one. I was not super sure from a personality standpoint who I was most like. So my friends all agreed Rose Lavelle. And unfortunately, this is not a personality trait, but the sheer volume of pictures that the two of us post of our dog <laughs> on Instagram. Um, she has a bulldog. I have a French bulldog. Uh, he, if you hear snoring in the background, that is him. He does not, um, he's not super quiet, but uh, anyway, um, Rose is honestly, she's a hard worker. She's creative. She's really great in pinch situations and she just gets the job done. Um, and, you know, I'd like to think my work, work ethic is very similar. Um, she also rocks a mean sweatsuit, which obviously during the age of COVID has uh, become an art form. So, I'd like to think I'm similar, not today, but in my off work days as Rose. I love it. I love it. Cool. All right, Malika, you're up. All right. Well, I also crowdsourced this, but my crowd was a source of one. Um, my <laughs> husband, who is an avid soccer fan, and he went down this road after being quarantined together for so long. Like He went back into like the 80s and 90s for soccer players, and I think there's so many great players that I can uh, I admire and identify with for what they do on the field as well as off the field. But I've decided to go the fictional route. I'm sorry, I realized I got so excited about talking to my player. I didn't introduce who I am. So, <laughs> this part. 
Let me take a step back. It's Friday. It's Friday of a long weekend. Uh, my name is Malika Pereira. I'm the Vice President of Partnership Marketing at Major League Soccer, Soccer United Marketing, where I oversee partners not only for Major League Soccer, but some of our partners on the call here with U.S. Soccer, as well as uh, CONCACAF and the Mexican national team. So quite busy with a lot of partners. But back to my story. My players, I've decided to go fictional. Um, my family, we've fallen in love with a show called Ted Lasso. If you haven't <laughs> seen it, it's a great binge watch this weekend. And I'm in between two players. I think my personality is very similar to Danny Roja, who is excited <laughs> and passionate. I actually do really love soccer as a sport. I was a volunteer with World Cup 94, one of the first interns with DC United. So I love it. I get excited. I love going to the matches. But during this pandemic, I think I've kind of moved a little bit closer to Roy Kent and a little <laughs> snarky, a little, you know, kind of like need to be kind of motivated a bit more. So I'm somewhere in between those two. That's great. I haven't, I have to confess, I haven't seen Ted Lasso yet, but it's on my list to watch. Um, and I'll let you know. That's great. I kind of, now I feel kind of bad. I should have crowdsourced it to you. Maybe it, it was a bit bold for me to <laughs> claim Dabinia. Um, Kay, how about you intros? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, these stories are great. I am uh, Kay Bradley. Um, I work at U.S. Soccer Federation and I oversee marketing for the Federation. Um, I actually did not crowdsource mine either. Um, okay. I just went for it. Um, what first popped into my head, well, uh, is uh, Sydney LaRue uh, from the NWSL. So I have been, we became moms around the same time. Um, and so what I loved about her and, and she inspires me, and I'd like to think I have a little bit of in that uh, in me as well as um, that fire and that impact off the, on the field, but also that kind of imperfectly uh, perfect, goofy, not altogether mom off the field uh, that I can very much relate to. So, um, so for me, I, I feel like we have a lot, a lot of shared uh, in common there. So. That's a great one. I, I uh, have seen, I feel like I'm a, a fan of, of her kids because I think I can follow them on Instagram <laughs> and it's just like a really cool tradition to watch her. Um, I was at the courage match when, when the pride were playing in the cup challenge cup and uh, it was neat to see after the game, she brought the kids, they flew in with her and after the match, how she just waits on the field for them. They come running up. It's really special. So really, yeah, really awesome cool. Kate. Love it. Heidi. Hola, hola. Hola. Good to, well, good to see you. As you saw, my mom made a cameo appearance in, in, Herbata, in Herbata. So you know where I am in yeah, Puerto yes, Rico. Like a, like a <laughs> traditional Puerto Rican mom in, in, in yeah. Herbata. And, and she did not get any other cues like, hey, you're on video. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's it's so great to be part of this panel. And first of all, I want to thank Avish and, and Sarah for putting it together. And I have to make a plug. This is my first soccer football panel that Ooh. I get to share with five women. Josh, I know you're going to be amazing, but this is very... <laughs> This is very monumental uh, for, for, for me. Uh, every time I get to do this, it's like, it, it's hard to, to find that balance because we all know that our sport has a long way to go. So this is really encouraging to see. Uh, but uh, again, my name, Heidi Pejerano. Uh, I am the Chief Commercial Officer at CONCACAF. I uh, have been here uh, for a little bit over two years, which is 
really bizarre, but it's great to, to be with this awesome panel. I, I get to do the job of revenue generation for, for the Confederation, which obviously not, not didn't know that there would be a pandemic when I took on this job a year later to, to, to twist it all up, but it's been fun to be able to work with partners like Malika, all clients like Sarah, um, so excited to be here. That was a curveball with the athlete. I did not crowdsource. I, I probably, I just started to go in. There's a part of me that wishes I could say I'm Karina LeBlanc, who is our Ooh. head of women's football. But yes. the energy that she has, I could never match. Um, uh, it, for those of you who don't know Karina, uh, she's a former uh, national team player at Canada. She's our head of women's football. Uh, but I think if I'm honest with myself, I'm more of a Tobin Heath person. I think Tobin is you know, one of those very understated players, right? You don't see her, but she just gets it done, right? And I think uh, I'm hopefully Kay and Malika and Ali and everybody, Sarah, would agree. Without her, I don't know uh, it, over the past few years if the U.S. Uh, national team would have the success. But, you know, you don't hear the commotion around her. You don't get the spotlight on her. And it seems like she's really comfortable with that and okay with that, that it's all about the team and, and she's there to do a job and, and do it well. Uh, so that's kind of how I, that, that, that would be my spirit athlete. Uh, if I were to say how I feel about my role at CONCACAF. I love it. I got goosebumps with, with, with everybody, but with Karina, I could see that LeBlanc. And then with Heidi, you are like a rock star, right? So if you, here's the thing, if you know Heidi, you know, right. And I think this is the same thing with, with, with Tobin as well. Right. So that feels, that feels right about right. All right, we'll, 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 we'll move on to uh, Josh, the lone, the lone male in the group. Josh, welcome. Um, Thank so you very much. You joined us. So we're doing um, some intros. And then if you've got a, a soccer player you identify with, or personality, maybe skill level. Yeah. And, and at first, I, I apologize. I have to de-stress as I went to log on to this about 10 minutes ago, my computer crashed. So of course, yeah. <laughs> So I'm trying to calm down a little bit, but uh, Josh Keller, Senior VP of Corporate Development and Partnerships, and man, thinking about a player that represents my personality, I think um, I was a former player, uh, played in the early years of MLS, okay. and I always, I'm partial to watching the, the defensive midfielder position, so that's sort of the position I like to watch in the field, so uh, as I was thinking about this, there's a player in our league, Speedy Williams who first hmm. and foremost has one of the best names in our league. So uh, that's always a good plus, but um, he plays for Miami FC, but he's uh, represents what that position's all about. And, and I, I try and sort of not model my personality after that, but sort of feels like it's a good match, but much like Heidi, it's, it's not a position that's looking for the limelight necessarily, but really wants to get the job done, works with all different players in the team. It's really the connection between the defense, the offense, and, and ultimately it's all about, winning the game and, and, and finding success. So I think uh, if I had to choose one player, uh, Speedy would be the one I'd go with. That's a good, that's a good one. Although we'll take Josh Keller too. We'll take Josh Keller. There we go. There's only one. There's only one. Oh, yeah. great. Well, that was, thanks for sharing. I, I feel like I got to know you all a little bit better as a result of this. So I, thanks for indulging um, in that question. So we'll, we'll, um, you know, here's a general question. And, and for some folks that, that may not know, I used to work at, at Major League Soccer, um, but also you know, on the some side with the Mexican national team, um, touched a little bit of, of some of the, the properties um, there. And so, you know, this question um, kind of came from that, you know, from that previous experience, right? So, um, you know, World Cup 2026 is going to be here in, in Canada, in the U.S., and Mexico. 
we're all part of the, the soccer ecosystem in North America. And so just, just curious about, and I don't know if anybody wants to jump in, maybe you all have answers and we can go down the, down the line there, but um, just curious about, you know, do you all, you know, do all these entities um, collaborate to support the growth of soccer? How do you collaborate? Will you collaborate? So just curious about um, any thoughts, you know, we, 2026 feels like a, a little bit off, you know, um, you know, off in the horizon, but before we know it, it's going to be here. So I will, let's see, I, maybe I'll jump, uh, maybe Kay, if you've got any thoughts on, on that question in terms of, you know, how, how you've collaborated with any of, whether it's Malika or Heidi or Josh. Yeah. I mean, I think in that, with that question, it's hard to just name one thing. I mean, we are constantly collaborating um, and integrating with each other. And I don't think that we will all achieve the success that we know we can in 2026, unless we continue to do so um, and continue to do so even more um, over the next few years. I mean, we are so, you know, to elevate the game, we are so reliant on each other because it really is one big ecosystem here in the U.S. Um, and with Canada and Mexico. I mean, we are just um, so, you know, so reliant on each other and so collaborative now in everything that we do, whether that's, you know, promoting the games or whether it's working through schedules, whether it's, you know, generating best practices. I mean, even if you look to COVID, I mean, we were spending so much time working together, trying to figure out, okay, what is the best way to navigate through this challenge that none of us had ever faced before? Um, and, and in constant communication and contact about, okay, here's what we're doing here, our best practices, what are yours, learning from each other. So, I think we will only continue to do that more and more um, in the lead up to the World Cup. And I think that we will only be as successful as we want if we were able to do that um, in the most effective way. Yeah, yeah. Heidi, I'll kind of punt this to you as well, just given the umbrella nature of, of CONCACAF. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think from a CONCACAF perspective, one of the biggest missions for us is that a lot of times people forget, like as a confederation, what's your role, right? And a lot of people think, oh, you put Gulf Cups, right? I have my backdrop here. Or you put uh, Champions League together. That's not our function, right? Our mission is to develop and grow football across the region, right? And it's to provide access uh, to the sport, uh, regardless of the level in which you're playing. So when we look at things as the competitions are Gold Cup or things like 2026, these are pillars and opportunities uh, to, to really grow and develop the sport. So what we want to make sure as a confederation that working with Kay and her counterparts in Mexico and Canada, and even with FIFA, is we want to make sure that this World Cup is not about three countries. It's about the entire confederation. Right. This is something that needs to benefit football entire, in the entire region. But this is kind of that beacon of hope. Right. We always talked about this is Victor's words. Right. What do we do? We we offer hope. We have you know, that, that's what we do. So that's one of the things that we're looking at this uh, World Cup to be is the hope. Uh, not only on the men's side, but also on the women's so that more kids are able to enjoy the sport. Uh, more people want to become fans and, and be part of this wonderful community that we have been uh, working in. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we're going to continue to develop because it's very easy, right? The partners um, and everybody is going to just really be hyper-focused, right? The, the, the American brands might be hyper-focused on the U.S., uh, the Mexican brands, then the global brands might be. But for us, it's really important that Martinica, Antigua and Barbuda, and uh, Cuba, and everybody that makes up the CONCACAF region benefits uh, from this event. And the way we're going to do that is something that we are continuing to collaborate because we want to make sure that there's legacy projects come out of it. You know, one of the first things I remember, you quickly you heard legacy projects like 26 for 26, but it was all U.S., Mexico, Canada. 
So that's where we are very actively committed uh, with our partners at the federations, but also with FIFA to extend the reach of that impact because it can make a huge difference for some of these countries that continue to struggle to, to get going as a sport. Oh, th- thanks, Heidi. I, I love that. You know, we said it's not just about the three countries, it's about the whole region. Um, so it's going to be fun, fun to watch there. Um, Malika, any thoughts on, on this one? Yeah, you know, at Major League Soccer, we definitely believe that I guess what's the saying, like rising tides raises all boats. And, and that's that's the, the effect of the World Cup, whether it's taking place in our region, which will obviously have a bigger impact, or just taking place globally too. All eyes are on the sports. It's a way to bring in new fans um, to the sport. We have a lot of avids that know everything about our players, the schedule, you know, the different sources, things like that. But when you have a global event where everyone can get behind a team or an underdog or find that good story, you bring more eyeballs to the sport and therefore the sport grows. Uh, I I think, you know, MLS was started as a result of the World Cup in 94. So we're definitely laser focused on what's going to happen after 26 because it's going to be a great story. We've gone from 10 teams to we're at what, 27, moving to 30. It's huge growth in a short period of time when you look at some of the leagues uh, in other countries that have been established for decades. We're only, what, 26 years in now? So, you know, we have some room to grow and I think the World Cup is really going to help us bridge that gap. And the interesting thing also about Major League Soccer and the impact of the World Cup we have so many players that represent other countries. We represent a lot of the, the countries that Heidi's Confederation oversees. And so that's where it truly is. Rising tide raises all boats. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm like getting excited. I mean, I know 22 is, is, is next year, but I'm, I'm really excited to, see, to, to, to be up close um, to the sport in a, such a momentous year. Josh, and, I ha- and I'll have maybe a, a curveball question for, for, for Allie, but Josh, any thoughts on you know, how the USL is approaching um, yeah, the next few years. Absolutely. And I think I'd agree a lot with what Malika just said is, is we look at our role as, is also growing the fan base. And, you know, whereas MLS or NWSL is maybe in some of the major metros, you know, we're expanding out into those, that next level down of market, you know, and, and you can't just start building fans nine months, 12 months ahead of the event. It's got to be a, a long process. So, you know, over the next five years, six years, as we lead up to the event, you know, as we're getting uh, pro teams in these new markets, we're generating new fans, which ultimately is going to benefit all of us on this call. So I think from a fan perspective, certainly, uh, you know, we, we see that's a big role for USL, but also on the field, um, you know, with the World Cup expanding to 48 teams, uh, you know, in, in 26, we're going to have a lot of representation, especially in a lot of the CONCACAF teams um, uh, that are, that are going to be in that event. So just from a development standpoint, from a professional playing standpoint, I think, um, you know, we're going to give those opportunities to a lot of those players. And then finally, I think, you know, uh, with all those teams coming into to the U.S., they're going to need places to play, places to play friendlies. We've got, uh, you know, just a, a steady stream of stadiums, you know, these, these great world-class type stadiums that are in, in those markets outside um, that could host friendlies, uh, training grounds for teams. So, so again, I think with all the partners on this call, we're sort of, expanding the map of the sport in soccer, um, which with a country our size, certainly that's extremely important. Yeah, I think you just underscored kind of like just the richness of, right, the sport in in the U.S. in all corners. Um, thank you. And then, you know, Ellie, I know we're talking about, you know, the, the 2026 kind of framework there. 
any, you know, NWSL, obviously women, um, at least we don't think they'll be playing in the, in, in the 2026, but any ways to, to capitalize off of that moment um, for, for NWSL? Yeah. Um, so we actually see on a, from a social perspective, anytime that the U S women's national team is playing our channels, see a huge peak in interest and increased share of voice on social. And I'm sure Malika, it's the same thing with your athletes. Whenever um, they're playing for the national team, it's, you know, a lot of broadcasters have done a really great job of saying like you're catching the U S women's national team competing, you know, for Tokyo or wherever, um, tune in year round pretty much to see them play in the NWSL. We, we have, we've seen the numbers prove it. And I think um, our partners have showed that they, they're committed to supporting them, not just through the NWSL season, but wherever their career takes them. Um, And I think just to touch on something that Kay said and also kind of bridge the gap to what Malika mentioned, we, our teams are in constant communication, um, communicating best practices. Our, we're obviously a small team um, and we're young, so we're in our ninth season. But I think that we're learning a lot from all of our teams here represented. And, and if anybody's heard our commissioner, Lisa Baird, talk, she jokes about calling Don Gerber quite a lot um, and, and saying, leaving messages for Don and mentioning just using him as a resource for as she's kind of growing and, and learning with us. So I think, um, you know, the collaboration across all of these entities has been great from what I've seen thus far. Excellent. Cool. All right. Um, we'll dive, dive in. Um, these are going to be each property focused questions. Um, so starting with, with CONCACAF and Heidi. So, you know, you oversee a, a region, right? 41 countries with varying um, degrees of soccer affinity. So I, you know, I had to pick this country. So what's the strategy for getting places like Puerto Rico to be excited <laughs> and embracing the sport, you know, which we know is a very big, you know, baseball, uh, basketball country versus Canada, where there's a long, you know, a pretty strong soccer culture. Is there, you know, how do you guys approach, mm-hmm. how do you all approach these varying kind of spectrums? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And I, I kind of joke with my team because I said Puerto Rico has been in almost every World Cup over the last few years because the performer for the FIFA song has been Puerto Rican. So let's yes. make sure that we keep track of that, right? We Good have more performances than anybody. So I just want that on the record. I stand um, corrected. I stand corrected. We, we, we make it to the highest stage just in a different manner. Um, but no, but, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, uh, Sarah, we face that across the board. Right. We face that across the board in countries like Bahamas uh, that are very much uh, track and field. You know, we have countries where cricket, uh, especially a lot of the West Indies countries. So but it's no different. Right. Like we all face that here. If you were to talk to Kay and Malika and Ali, right, and, and Josh, we deal with that in terms of the scheme where soccer fits within the American landscape. So it takes a lot of work. Um, the biggest thing that we try to do is really learn uh, from Uh, everybody as much as possible and then become that kind of source of information for our federations. You know, so we do uh, regular webinars with them on on different topics, right? So uh, we have done, you know, coaching, you know, seminars. So uh, in terms of uh, safeguarding and things like that, we do a lot of seminars specific to commercialization because a lot of them are going to come in and say, well, how do I sell and create sponsorship packages? How do I come in 
And to us, I think it's a, it's a system, right, that we can then come in and give you the tools to kind of be able to really build momentum internally, get a strong foundation. And then that's what allows you to be able to then have the conversations. And one of the things that we have done on top of those is, you know, I think everybody here is an athlete, um, maybe different degrees of, of success, right? Um, but that athlete mentality is, you know, that's why you train, right? That if you see the best athletes train just as hard as they do when they're competing, we take the same mindset. We want our, our federations to have an opportunity to compete. The more you compete, the better a system it pre presents for all. So what do I mean by that? If you think about it, Puerto Rico, in Puerto Rico before, they would be part of World Cup qualifying. They would get their couple of matches in, not win them, and that's it. Right now, Puerto Rico is here picking up the phone and calling uh, case counterparts in the operations department say, hey, can we get a friendly? Well, U.S. soccer is kind of saying, I'm, I'm negotiating friendlies with Italy and, and, and Ireland and things like that. So it makes it more difficult then to Puerto Rico to get those opportunities. So what we have done is we created more competitions and expanded our competitions, right? So we created the CONCACAF Nations League. CONCACAF Nations League allows all 41 members to participate. So now a Puerto Rico on a, on a regular cycle can say, I'm going to be guaranteed more than 10 games in a cycle. So now they can use that to recruit coaches, right? To get brand commitment, to go to government and say, we need your support to build better stadiums. And that's really what feeds, we believe, the ecosystem. Um, and that's what we're doing now on the women's side. We've expanded our, our women's competition. Uh, we're launching, we're uh, expanding our women's championship that will take place in 22. We're starting our qualifying round uh, in, in November, but we also added a new competition uh, that we're gonna be launching in 23 leading into 24. So now that gives opportunity. So if you're telling me, why should I invest in women's football? Well, we're giving you an opportunity to say, this is why you invest and this is how you benefit from that. And we do believe that that's the key. And really quickly, one last point, if you look at since Victor, our president took over, we've tripled the amount of matches in our ecosystem. That was Definitely. the mindset. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, Malika is like, I know, I know that's why I'm so tired. I, I don't know. Um, so we have tripled our amount of matches in the ecosystem. Right. And we're seeing dividends. We're going into our Gold Cup this year and people were chatting about, oh, I don't want to be in that group. Right. Well, before people wouldn't even necessarily talk about the group stage. They'll be like, we'll talk about Gold Cup once we get into the quarterfinals and semifinals. Now people are saying, I don't I want I don't want to face that Granada team. I don't want to face that Jamaica team. So that that has really been the strategy for us to give the Puerto Ricos and, and, and Montserrat and all that opportunity to, to develop the sport. I love it. So exciting. There, the CONCACAF is very lucky to have you. I don't know who's listening, but you can forward that um, <laughs> for for this this session to them. That's wonderful, Heidi. Um, Kay, looking at you at, at U.S. Soccer, um, you know one of the things you know as 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 you know a Latina in the, in the United States, you know I've not necessarily been you know the biggest U.S. soccer fan for the men's side, right? I've I've actually cheered for Mexico. I have to confess, uh, but I'm excited about your new leadership. I think that um, I think with Will. Um, and, and Dave, especially their, I think their international experience is, is going to help. So just curious about, you know, U.S. soccer's approach to increasing its fan base in the U.S. so that it's more representative of um, the country's demographics. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, something obviously that's, you know, 
when we think about DEI, that's something that's obviously been important to the Federation for a number of years and making sure that soccer is really truly the most inclusive sport in the entire world. I mean, that's something that's really important to us. You know, I think given the events of, of last summer, um, we were all able to take a step back, like I think many organizations uh, did and say, you know, are we really doing all that we can in this space to ensure that everyone, you know, whether it's here in the US or globally, feels like they are a part, a part of our ecosystem can be a part of the sport. Um, and so while, you know, we were excited about things like she believes in our pride efforts, we, we, we thought, wow, actually we could be doing and we should be doing a whole lot more. And so a really, you know, exciting year for us as we think about what we've done, you know, basically almost a year ago to now to take an internal look at what we were doing as an organization and say, okay, really around inclusivity, around, you know, growing our fan base to, to match, um, you know, the, re the rest of the country or the demographics of the country, you know, around our organization to make sure that the people we have within the walls um, feel, you know, that we are a diverse and inclusive place. Um, what, could, what could we be doing? And so we did an assessment um, in the fall, um, set that vision, and we've been really kind of spending the entire year you know, putting the pillars in place, the building blocks in place to make some internal changes, hire, you know, started a DEI council, we hired a director of diversity, uh, we have a roadmap now, we have an actual vision, we have commitments, we have a roadmap to get there internally. Um, but I think, you know, as we started to put those pieces in place, also recognizing that, you know, it can't stop there. Um, and so we've, we've turned our efforts in the last couple months, okay, what can we be doing externally to ensure that we are making sure that those um, who are, are watching us, you know, publicly also feel that same way, that we are inclusive, that we, they can connect with us. They feel, they see themselves in the sport. They feel like they belong. Um, and so we have, um, in addition to the efforts that we started with our players um, in the fall around, you know, uh, Be the Change messaging and Black Lives Matters, um, we also have just relaunched actually this week on Monday, um, our One Nation platform. Um, which is a commitment to a handful of initiatives around our national team matches um, starting uh, this June, uh, where we will be um, delivering a, um, a number of um, activations, tactics that are really designed uh, to ensure that we're making soccer as inclusive as possible. So it's everything from um, a coach for community event, which is a youth and, and coaching event that brings uh, kids and coaches from underserved communities together uh, to celebrate and get introduced to the sport of soccer. Uh, we're partnering with vote.org um, to ensure that, you know, people are, are, are voting. Um, we are um, identifying a game ambassador um, who represents um, an underrepresented community at our games and highlights and celebrates those communities. So a lot of things we're celebrating pride with, you know, our pride um, brand rebrand, as well as, you know, Jersey auction to support the You Can Play project. So there's a lot of stuff that we're doing um, that we're just starting this summer and we're looking to create a blueprint that then we can use as we go into communities from market to market um, to continue to grow on moving forward. So it's really just the beginning. It's not one and done. Hey, this summer we're going to focus on it and not again. It's really creating that blueprint that then we can use as we go forward, especially as we think about some of the big kind of high profile matches we're going to have um, this fall. And we're going to be in a number of different markets throughout the World Cup qualifying uh, cycle, as well as our, our women's um, slate and calendar this fall um, to, to be in different markets, to identify underserved communities, uh, to connect with them and have have an impact where we play because right now we do we kind of come in we fly in we play uh you know we have camps for a couple of weeks we play for a couple of days and then we fly out and what we're really looking at is how can we when we go into those markets make an impact 
um, and then allow for our sport to be even more inclusive, be even more diverse on and off the field. Love it. Love it. Can't wait to see these results. Yeah, it's a lot of, you know, baby steps for us, or I should, I probably shouldn't call it baby steps, but it, you know, it is, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're learning, um, we're trying some things, um, we're going to build, um, and, but it's really exciting for us to, to take what we have focused on internally for the last eight to 12 months and really start to now bring that externally. Um, and we'll see, I think we have a lot of learning to do. We have a lot of ways, you know, we have a, a long way to go, but we're really excited about the progress that we've made to date and where we think we can go, um, in the future. Yeah, no, I think we, we all certainly, right, we all have a lot to work and it's, on, it's an ongoing um, evolution, but this is really exciting and I can't wait to see it. Um, let's see, Allie, um, you know, talking about, um, you know, growing leagues, um, you know, you, you are racking up, you know, tons of major um, brands. Each one seems to have uh, assigned to it a, a, you know, pretty cool progressive initiatives um, as part of their sponsorship. Um, can you tell us a few, or can you share a few examples of these sponsorships and tell us how they fit into the leagues? Um, you know, can you mention blueprint? I can't even say the word, um, for, for growth. Yeah, of course. Great, great question. Um, we're really excited. I, this is a word that I feel like is going to be thrown around a lot on this panel, but, um, we've seen our business grow at what has been a a, a rather tough time for the industry in general. And I think that, um, you know, that's a result of the unique proposition that the NWSL offers. Um, you know, our unique place in the culture that is the NWSL at this moment is, is, is really exciting. Um, we, we've had these major brands that have not only um, recently joined us, but a handful that have also been with us since the, almost the beginning. So from Nike, who largely was with us from the beginning to Budweiser, who's been with us for multiple years. Um, and, and like you mentioned, Sarah, um, we have some new partnerships that we recently announced with Nationwide, Ally, MasterCard, iHeart. Um, we, we want, and what we look for in partnership goes beyond the dollars um, that obviously helps sustain the league. Um, we want them to be, be involved in, uh, you know, building equity uh, for women's sports and for highlighting the elite athleticism um, and skills that these athletes in the NWSL have. Um, and we're really thrilled that our partners um, believe in bringing those back to life and highlighting those across, you know, their own channels and their own media contacts and their brand channels and social media. Um, and, and they really are invested in doing more than just advertising with us, which is the biggest thing. Um, they get the benefit of our fan engagement, which um, is higher than any other sport and league. Um, and they've also helped make the league better, a better place for our players to compete um, and, and not to be too grandiose, but also to make the world a bit better as we're driving equity for women in sport. Um, so, for some examples, we have Verizon, who you likely saw last year had the Community Shield. Um, it's an ongoing small business initiative that um, was originally started to help small businesses in our local club communities that were affected by the pandemic. Um, looking to continue that this year for them or some iteration. Uh, we're also working with our most recent announced partner, MasterCard. Uh, to build uh, platforms that highlight the women's game, so bring more awareness, drive a little bit more media equity, um, and also make the fan experience better. So we're driving more attendance to our games and more tune-ins um, across our broadcast networks, um, which is obviously a key for any sport. Um, we're also working with Nationwide, another one of our new partners, uh, to help local service organizations um, in each of our local club communities 
you'll start to see that come to life here this season. Um, and then, you know, I, I mentioned it already, but all of our partners are really committed to helping us drive diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives across the league. Um, similar to what Kay said, and I don't want to call it baby steps, but we are hard at work putting plans together in partnership with our, our corporate sponsors, our corporate partners, um, and they're helping to build out each element of it. So you'll start to see those come to life here um, this season and hopefully many seasons to come as we, we learn best practices and we, we try these initiatives out and see what works and how we can further improve them. Yeah, I am. Um, there's so many good things. I'm sitting here with a lot of like sponsor envy for um, with the Wells Fargo hat on with the, all the brands that you signed on. And I was on a panel with um, with the Ally Bank um, CMO a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, listen, hats off to you. Oh, I wish that was us. Right. Um, I tuned they, in for that panel. It was that was <laughs> awesome. You guys did a great job. <laughs> Thanks. But they're doing great, great, great work for the for the players. Um and then kind of shifting to, to, to Josh a little bit, talking, you know, talking about the players, I was excited um, to see last year that the USL had partnered with the Black Arrow and um, USL Black Players Association. And I know a lot of these responses, or a lot of these actions were in response to um, the call for racial justice last year. But I did, um, I did see some, some continuation of that for 2021. So just curious if you can share some insights on like how that came about um, and what future plans are with that with that type of programming. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like Ken and Allie talked to, you know, DE&I is, is top of mind in everything we're doing. And, you know, the Black Players Alliance, the BPA was formed last year uh, with everything that was going on in society. And it was a player-led initiative. And really the, the ultimate mission of the BPA was just to empower its members to, to tell their stories and, and positively impact their community. So, you know, obviously that mission resonated with us at the league level. So from, from day one, we wanted to, to collaborate with the BPA and not necessarily to, to sort of, you know, tell our own stories, but more of how can, how can we help you? How can we use our platform to extend the messaging and amplify the messaging that you guys are looking to push out? So, you know, there's been some great collaborations that have come out of that. Um, you know, we launched a, along with our partners at Puma, and, um, and then Danny Williams has his Beautiful Struggles brand. We launched a, a limited edition jersey and, and, and sold that and all the proceeds went to uh, support financial literacy programs in underserved communities. So that was a, you know, a great initiative we did. Back in February, we launched a, what we called From the Pitch, which was really more of a, a, a platform for our black players to tell first person accounts of, of the challenges that they're facing not only on the field, but off the field as well. And so again, we're just looking at ourselves as, as a platform to help extend, extend that messaging. And then, you know, getting to Black Arrow, as you mentioned, Sarah. So Black Arrow is, it's, it's a media platform that, that really is, is about storytelling at the intersection of Black culture and soccer. And so last October, um, we launched a video series last year, which really was uh, each, each uh, video was an opportunity to tell a different story. You know, as an example, uh, there was a, a piece on Birmingham, the Birmingham Legion, and, and what they're doing in that city, uh, their partnership with the Civil Rights Institute. Um, so really just, you know, talking through that. But uh, it, it was just a, a great opportunity to tell stories that maybe the, the regular soccer fan isn't seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. And so we found a lot of success with that, a lot of great feedback. And so we've extended that, that partnership this year. But not only, you know, our partnership with the BP, I think this, this idea of collaborating with, with different groups throughout USL um, has opened up some other doors as well. So we're, we're launching 
a, a new initiative with a, a group called Kicks to the Pitch, which is, is going to be focused more on, on storytelling for the Latinx community, um, you know, and in, in, in more of, again, that intersection of culture and soccer. So not just soccer stories, but more on, on the culture side of it as well. And, and we just launched last month our Forever Proud initiative, which, again, for us, we didn't want to make it just about, say, one month. It, it's mm -hmm. more of a, a year round initiative. So it's, it's you know, the, these are stories that that we should be telling throughout the year. So again, you know, just like like everyone else on the panel, I think this is we realize that sport is a platform, which is which is a great thing. And and I think our role at USL is is we're doing a lot of listening, and then seeing how we can again use our platforms to just help help amplify messaging. Yeah, I, I think um, there's a lot. Although the USL you know teams and markets may be smaller, there's a lot of personalities, um, a lot of stories to be told. Um, as well. So I, I commend you. Um, sounds like this is going to be a, a, you know, uh, you know, I think a lot of organizations and companies and we see it, it's, you know, pride night, right. Or Hispanic heritage night. And so I think, you know, a wake up call was like, ah, this, these just can't be like one-off events each year that we got to check off the box. Right. So I really appreciate all your organization's efforts towards like a really like meaningful, sustainable program programs around um, all these various communities. So hats off there. Um, Malika, last, last individual question here. Um, you know, as you mentioned, 27 teams uh, with MLS, um, just, I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of markets um, when connecting to local communities, like what autonomy do the clubs have? Um, do their role, do their programs or programming lead up to league initiatives? Um, and would like to hear, I mean, there's so many, but curious, like if you've got a favorite, whether it's the league level or at the club level, that um, you think have been really impactful? Sure. I think one thing that's really unique about our MLS ecosystem is that clubs have a lot of autonomy, even though they're part of a single entity property. Um, we encourage the clubs to really associate closely with their, their community, because each community is different. As you can imagine, a community in Seattle is very different than the community in Miami, and clubs need the freedom to be able to connect with their fan base as such. We have longstanding traditions with fans, um, whether it's, once again, Seattle, where they have like the walk to the game and um, fan bases that are creating these little, we call them supporters clubs. Um, Atlanta United is a great example of that, where they have four different fan supporter clubs that each have their own unique personality. And each of those clubs and the supporter group groups then have the freedom to do what's right for their community, whether it's uh, a DEI effort or uh, a Black Players Coalition supporting a program around that pro um, initiative. It's, it's really open-ended for what is right for that community. And I think that's what's amazing about soccer overall, especially in North America, um, compared to what you see kind of across the world globally, is that in North America, we've had been an all-inclusive sport. Um, one of the league initiatives that I'm really proud of is Soccer for All. It's been going on for a number of years. And it is, it is about soccer is available for participation for people of all ethnicities, all genders, all or you know, orientations, all ability levels. Um, there is a role for you in the soccer family. And uh, we've been, you know, promoting this program, like I said, for years. And now with SK mentioned, 
things that have happened over the past, we've realized that we do need to shed uh, and spend more attention on some of these programs and the wonderful team at MLS Works that is working closely with our partners and our clubs to, to come up with the, the right programs for the right markets. I think, you know, Sarah Wells Fargo has done a lot with us um, with the service day around All-Star and we're excited to be in LA this year where there's so much work to be done. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's constantly evolving. And I think that's where MLS has been, oh, I'm going to say on the forefront, it's not sticking to just one initiative, understanding how the fan base is reacting, how the players, we were quick to support our, our Black players during MLS's tournaments uh, this past summer in Orlando. We gave them field time to, to share their message. Um, we support them with resources in the office. Um, and this is going to continually evolve uh, as as, as we progress and as we uncover or more things that need our attention. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And I know, you know, the, the topic here was, you know, the growth of soccer in, in North America, but I do think all the initiatives that you're all working on um, lead towards that, right? I think the, you know, I think everybody's talking about DNI. I feel sometimes that may get lost um, or just like the concept may get lost and like, oh, we've got to do this because you know, the tension's on, the news is on, but I really do feel like these types of initiatives are the, are, are those um, um, sparks that keep um, the game of soccer growing when people feel like they are welcome. And um, so anyway, hats off to all, all you there. Um, we've got a few minutes left. And so kind of going back to like a group, a group question um, about um, continue the conversation about growth. Um, there's lots of ingredients um, when it comes to growing the sport in North America. And so in, you know, in your opinion, whether, you know, maybe, maybe you could say, you could say, you know, me personally, or me as an organization, um, you know, do you have one, like just one ingredient, whatever that may be to you to help grow, um, the sport that we should be focusing on. So I'll, um, I'll go with Allie. It's so tough to narrow it down to one. I don't know if anybody else agrees with me, but yeah, the most important. So I think I'll speak just, you know, I can't speak. Well, I mean, I could speak for the NWSL as a whole. I'll speak as the revenue generating side okay. of things in yeah. my role. Yeah. Um, I, th- I really think the fan experience is one area that we, we really need to, to focus on. And two words, one ingredient. Um, I think that um, by leveraging our partnerships to improve that, the more people that go to games that enjoy the games, the more they'll tell their friends to go. And when the fans are demanding that those games are more visible then broadcasters and news outlets start to cover it more. And I think, you know, that hits at one of our challenges as a young league and women's sports where we're trying to promote that media equity. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to like fold my two into one, which is maybe a stretch. <laughs> that works. It's an extension. Um, no, yeah. agree. Agree. And I love it. And that's why I think I do. Love, like I didn't grow up playing soccer didn't really know what, you know, an offside wasn't so I started working at major league soccer. And I realized that, um, you know, I think that's the coolest thing about the sport is that fan experience and getting, um, I know it's just special, whether it's the supporters, um, what, you know, the, the fan, the, the soccer focused kind of stadium builds. Um, I think it all lends itself to that. Unlike, um, all the other major sports in, um, in, at least Canada and, and, and the United States. Um, Malika, what's your ingredients? 
I'm going to take one of Ali's ingredients. I also fully agree. There's a lot to pick from, you know, no, no recipe is made with just one ingredient. So obviously a lot is needed, but I think media is a big focus. Uh, I think when you look at what is happening across the other leagues and the way fans consume, not everyone can actually go to a match because they might be far away. Um, so media is a way to connect them, but I think there's a lot of opportunity because we need more shoulder programming. We need more coverage in, you know, traditional sports outlets. Uh, there is a desire for our fans to, to know more than just that 90 minute window. Um, there's so many different stories to tell. I think all our respective organizations have done their part with content, uh, trying to push out what we can, but we need the Players Tribune and, you know, ESPN to have an in-sports center on a regular basis. Uh, so that it is, it reaches all fans. Um, because I think, you know, I always think about some of the playoffs. I don't watch a lot of other sports during regular season, but I definitely become a playoff fan. And our playoffs are so exciting. You know, single elimination, there's a lot going on. We can bring in so many fans. They they need to be able to kind of understand the storylines and the drama and and that's where I think media plays a big role in that. And so I'm excited because we're seeing with some of the deals that CONCACAF has cut, some of the deals the NWSL and USL have cut, that there is an absolute interest from media partners. And so clearly they're seeing what Ali's been talking about too, that there is fan interest because we know our, our media companies base that on how many eyeballs are interested in the sport. So I think media is my ingredient. You? Yeah, um, how about you, Kate? Yeah, oh, no, I was just going to build off Malika because I think I have one that's that's a lot, uh, that's close close into that, which is um, you know connected to this idea of continuous fan engagement. Because I think what I'm hearing, you know, Ali and Malika say is we're getting this attention around our matches. We're getting these huge spikes in connectivity around these you know massive you know tentpole moments, whether it's tournaments or big games. And then what we're seeing is then that's falling off, um, you know, in the downtimes. And so especially for a little different for MLS, but especially for U.S. soccer, when we have a calendar that's a little bit irregular and a little bit erratic. Um, that we need to find ways to continue to connect with our fans when we're not on the pitch. So not in that 90 minutes and outside of those windows. So finding ways through whether it is through, you know, content or our media partners or that off field relevance and being culturally relevant to connect with our fans in those moments when we're not necessarily right on the pitch is going to be really critical to our continued success as we move forward. And so looking for ways for us to be able to do that. Hey, I'm wondering if there's a if there's a marketing campaign you can do around a little bit irregular, a little bit erratic. <laughs> that just really stuck with me. But you know, you're right. It's 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 that is a challenge. Yeah. Well, just Amer you know, American sports fans aren't necessarily used to that. They're used to their their regular season, their preseason, their regular season, and their playoffs. And we're a little bit unique in that in that right. factor. So uh, finding ways to help kind of overcome that. Uh, challenge for us will be critically important. I think the the ingredient to that is finding ways to connect, uh, to be culturally relevant, to connect on and off the field, and to find ways to be con to continuously engage our our fans. Heidi, yeah, no, I, I will build upon that in, in a couple of ways. Um, I think uh, you're absolutely right. When I joined Concacaf, you know, Victor and the leadership, they always said put football first. That what happened at FIFA and all of that is because they lost sight of putting FIFA, uh, putting football first. So my team always asked me when I came in, it's like, what does that mean for us as a commercial department, right? Uh, because we're not the ones controlling the pitch. And my answer was our equivalent of that is to put the fan first. 
right? And that was the catalyst for them because now all of a sudden they're like, oh, I get my piece of the contribution to this mission that Victor has. And then that's what we worked on. So my filters, whenever anybody in my team comes in to pitch me an idea, I always go back to, I spin what Victor does to us on the other side is, how is that better for the fan? How does that put the fan first? How does that? And then it's through that we have this really neat filter uh, because it gives us that opportunity to now say, no, we're laser focused on, on the fans. And I think I'll answer it because that was one of the questions in the chat, right? It's that balance of how do you nurture your existing avid fans and grow your fan base as well. And I think a lot of that is, you know, creating strategies for each and leveraging different channels for that. You know, a lot of times what people do is they try to throw everything against the wall and then let you be the filter, right? Like, so if you go into a channel, then you're going to have content that is more of avid, then you're going to have content for casuals, you're going to have content for this, and then it becomes a little too overwhelming to filter. So a lot of what we try to do is make sure that we have strategies for each and then that we have channels where that is the dominant content. So, and then seasons because of what Kay said is the same thing for us, right? Like a lot of times we come in and it's like, oh, we have Gold Cup. So you mean I talk about Gold Cup for four months and then I go, what, a year and six months before I talk about it again? That's no way. So that's what we've done. We've made events about everything, right? And, and that's something that we borrowed and created and adapted the playbook of leagues into our world to say, okay, we might not have a preseason, but we definitely have, okay, uh, for us is the, the Nations League, so the qualification. So let's talk about qualification. Okay, now we have a moment where we do our draw. So that's a little bit, it's not our, it's not the same as a draft, but it's a little bit similar, right? So we started creating these moments that allow us to say, okay, we're constantly going to be talking to fans on a consistent basis and then have that second layer of saying, like even we talked about it one time and at first everybody was like, what are you doing? But it worked. <laughs> it's like, we came in and said, okay, we have our major competition coming up, but we got canceled because of, um, of, of the pandemic. But so we said international hamburger day, we brought in a, a chef that did a custom burger for each nation. Right. So now it's customized and people started talking about that and posting that kind of content. And that's the key. Right. People have to realize we all made the mistake, by the way, is that we always focus on the fan behavior at the stadium in the moment of the season where that fan, like most of our fans will never come to the stadium. Right. Because of access and locations and all of that. And then their fans, 365 days of the week right, at the year, right, 24 hours every single day. So how do we keep them engaged and create that strategy? Uh, and I think it's a combination of having like tent pole pillars in terms of type of content that you're creating. I, I did not expect the literal ingredient or a food product mentioned, but a hamburger was it. Nice lady. <laughs> how about you? How about you, Josh? Yeah, quickly. I mean, while I agree with uh, with certainly the other ingredients that have been mentioned, I'll go a different direction and I'll, I'll go more on the player development side. And okay. so because um, ultimately, if you don't have a good product on the field uh, in the long term, you're not going to keep and, and, and get new fans. So certainly on the, on the women's side of the game, we've been top of the mountain for many, many years. But as more countries are putting resources into into the women's game, how do we stay there? You know, so how do we get more opportunities to, to continually developing that next generation of great players on the men's side? You know, we're, we're in a different position. We're trying to, to gain relevance and we're, we're definitely doing a fantastic job of that on the global stage. But 
again, and, and Heidi touched on this earlier when she was talking more at the national team level and all the events they're planning, planning those events gives those smaller countries opportunities to play in competitive environments. And ultimately that's how you develop better players is putting them in a challenging competitive environment. So from our standpoint here and everyone on this call, you know, how do we get that next generation of player into a competitive environment? You know, and MLS is doing a fantastic job. NWSL is doing a fantastic job. At USL, we're launching the USL Academy, which is focused on those 13, 14, 15-year-olds, getting them in pro environments. And again, in those markets that maybe in years past, they wouldn't have had an opportunity to get great training and, and be in those challenging environments. So I think, again, uh, certainly agree with everyone else, but I think that's also an important thing that we got to keep developing that talent, that talent so that our product on the field uh, gets better and better each year. Yeah. So, so collectively, all these ingredients make for stronger soccer in the U.S., right? We've got the fan experience, fan first, media coverage, player development. Um, we've, got, we've, got, we've got a recipe. Um, I, we've got a few minutes left. I feel bad. I actually can't see the chat because of my settings. I don't know if there was any other questions in there, um, but I've got one more. All right. And this is tough because we only have four minutes. 2022, 2023 World Cups are just months away. Maybe just share one, one reason why the next 24 months are going to be the most exciting. And I think you guys have hinted at some of this already, but um, some of the most exciting times for, for, for um, your organization. So Ali, you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> um, so next couple of years, we've obviously got the World Cups. We've talked about that. We also have the Olympics this summer. So that will certainly bring a ton of attention to some of our players who are not just competing for the U.S. women's national team, but a number of other national teams. Um, additionally, um, you know, we welcomed two new teams to competition this year. We're welcoming two more next year. Um, they'll be in the California marketplace. So really excited to expand our footprint there on the West Coast. Um, and lastly, um, we're celebrating our 10th year anniversary next year. So a decade, um, uh, really excited. Uh, I know we talked about tentpole events um, under Lisa's leadership as the, as the commissioner. Um, we're looking to launch a few really exciting events that I hope our fans gravitate towards. So next couple of years, women's soccer is certainly going to be on the front page for a lot of different reasons. And I, I frankly am super excited for it. Same. Malika, how about you? <laughs> All right. Um, we, similar to Ali, we have new teams, new stadiums. Uh, we just, it's, it's going to be an exciting time with soccer in general. And I think I, I want to speak more holistically is that we're going to be back in stadiums. We're going to be able to attend in person and be with each other. And sports is very unifying. And that's what's, that's what I have to look forward to over the next couple of months. Okay. It's like uh, Malika and I are reading from the same script, but I think very similar, you know, we took this past year to do a lot of, you know, reflection to get our house in order, to look at our strategy, to look at what our goals are, to just do a lot of kind of internal soul searching and putting the, the strategic building blocks in place that we're really excited to unlock and unleash um, this upcoming year when we finally are able to be back on the pitch and, and hopefully in, in most places in full capacity. So really excited to take all that great thinking and great work that's been done both within our organization, but across all the organizations that we've been you know, on this call um, and then kind of really bring that to life and see what's possible this next year when we've got a ton of amazing events um, coming up um, and, and fans back in, back in seats, so. Yes, Heidi. 
Um, I think the the piece that I I think about it and, and Kate talked a little bit about, right, it's that, you know, everybody talks about the tipping point and, and that's what we see a lot of times. So to me, uh, because we're in a very competitive environment, especially in North American sports, it's relentless drive, right? Like this is one of those that you can't just have a great NWSL season, a great USL season, and you go, we arrived, we did it, we we broke it, right? And Sarah, you know this, uh, as somebody, I've worked in, in multicultural marketing for many years, and every time there's a census, everybody says, this is the tipping point for multicultural marketing. 10 years later, it's another tipping point for multicultural marketing. The same thing happens to our sport, right? Every World Cup, this is the tipping point for, for, for soccer, right, in America. And that's what we need. It's relentless, and it's relentless in the work that, Ali and, and Lisa and the team are doing that in expansion is the work that Malika alluded to that Garber and the team at the MLS are doing is exactly what Kay said, the relentless commitment, Josh, what they're doing with the USL, because we want to make sure that it's relentless from top to bottom so that, you know, there comes a time, I think somebody made the comment one time that uh, the, this is the, the sport that has had the most opportunities and has been, everybody's been talking about it for 30 years, that is the sport of the future. Right. We've been talking about soccer as the sport of the future for over 30 years. So I think it's that collective and it's getting panels like this. So thank you again, Avish, for putting it together where we can bring this consciousness and get get this type of exposure to the sport, get more smart people into the sport. This is a fantastic panel of smart individuals. Um, so that's what we need to do. And just relentless, not uh, and because it's going to take another 10, 15 years of just nonstop action to finally break through and get to that tipping point. Preach, Heidi. Josh. Well, I'm pumped up from Heidi, but uh, I know. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> I'll echo what, what Ali and Malika said, you know, for us growing footprint, you know, we've got four new pro teams coming in next year. We got new stadiums. And, and one of the exciting trends we're seeing now is, is former national team players coming back to be uh, part of the ownership group of our, of our teams. Right. You know, Landon and, and, and Tim Howard uh, previously, DeAndre Yedlin just joining, and then yep. we got Marcus Beasley and Michael Parkhurst and, and some others. So exciting to see, uh, you know, the former players coming back and, and getting back involved in the ownership side. Yeah, literally like soccer for all, for real. Um, yep. This was great. I am so glad um, you all joined. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn and join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.